8.20 a.m. KRLV Las Vegas. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time to take a look around the NFL with John McClain from gallerysports.com and Sports Radio 610. Here's your boy Q. And it's your boy Damon Cotton here, and John McClain joins us now from Gallery Sports. John, it's finally happened. I mean, you're riding solo with me today. Are you ready for this? I'll hang on as long as long as I can. It's going to be a wild ride. Yes, no doubt about it. Thank you for joining us here, John. So the biggest news in the NFL yesterday, we saw it. Though will they, won't they? The Packers, they finally traded away Aaron Rodgers after what feels like four years of uncertainty of will he retire. I'm taking it back all the way to 2019 with Aaron Rodgers. Are you surprised about the compensation that the Jets gave the Packers in this trade? Well, one thing for sure to mind, we don't know who's won the trade. We got to see how well he plays, and we got to see how well how long Rodgers plays. He didn't play well last year. A lot of people thought he didn't buy in. He knew he was going to be gone, and so I would imagine he's going to be really fired up this season. And the best thing he can do is go to the off-season program, participate in that voluntary program, show the Jets and his new teammates he is all in, which he didn't do for a long time with the Packers and didn't need to do. The last time he had a mediocre season for him, they drafted Jordan Love, and he bounced back with back-to-back MVP seasons before last year. So he's going to be ready to play. I'm pretty sure he's going to play more in one year. And the reason is I've seen him quoted saying he wanted to play into his 40s. Now, that was before he kind of went off his rocker and became kind of an airhead. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so you never know for sure. But the, I think he's in good shape. He's going to have fun, and they're going to get him for at least two, maybe three seasons because these days it's no big deal for a quarterback to play at least 40 or 41 or two. As far as the Packers, they swap first-round spots. That's two positions. They'll probably take the same position that they wanted to begin with. Then they get the second-round pick this year. I'm guessing they're going to bolster that offense, DeMond. They need to make Jordan Love look as good as he can possibly look Mm -hmm. because after 31 years of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, those are some big shoes to fill, big legacies to to, to replace, and uh, hopefully Jordan Love will play well too. All right, John, I had to ask you that off the bat because that was the biggest story in the NFL yesterday, but I want to take it back down to Houston now. With the Texans having that number two pick, it seems like now that they can't get Bryce Young, that they're not going to take a quarterback at all. It seems like I've seen in some mock drafts Tyree Wilson may even go number two. How certain are you or do you think that the Texans pass on a quarterback at the number two pick in the draft? I'm not certain of anything, DeMond. Uh, Nick Casario, the GM, has done a tremendous job of keeping a lid on their plans. Now, I think in my last mock draft for gallerysports.com, my seventh and final mock, unless something changes tomorrow, I'm going to go with Tyree Wilson. Then I'm going to have a quarterback at 12, like Hendon Hooker. And I'm assuming that Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson will be gone too. And I know that if the Texans like a quarterback at 12, why wouldn't they like him at two? Now, they need an edge rusher desperately, 
They've got a 35-year-old defensive end and another injury-prone defensive end in the last year of his contract. So if it's not the first pick, it's going to be the second first-round pick to get an edge rusher. But you can't overthink it. You can't do be too cute. But one thing is tried and true, and everybody knows this. You can't force somebody to fall in love. If the Texans only love Bryce Young and they're not in love with any other quarterbacks, don't take them. You know, don't take them. But I can't imagine they're going into the next season. D'Amico Lyons first season when people are so excited about what's going on here that they would go into the season with Davis Mills and Case Keenum as their quarterbacks. Yeah, that would be the biggest shocker there right there. But in your mock draft, you said Tyree Wilson in your latest, in your final mock draft. Do you think that he they would favor him over Will Anderson? Because we've seen in all of the projections that Will Anderson is the best overall player in this draft. He's highest rated player on some boards. Tyree Wilson, who suffered a foot injury in uh, November and has been unable to work out for anybody. I think they like him better. He's 6'6", 270, plays either end. He can play inside in some passing situations if you need him to do that. Will Anderson's a little undersized, and he comes flying off the edge, preferably on the weak side. But I've just heard they like Tyree Wilson better, which means they'll probably take Will Anderson Jr. And there's a lot of talk about them taking Will Levis. Now, if they take Levis, that's going to be a very unpopular decision. They've got a fan fest like all teams do, about 5,000 people there, and they're going to hear resounding boos if they take (laughs) Levis. But in 2011, they booed the hell out of J.J. Watt pick, and that worked out pretty well. And I think that uh, they could trade down. I don't know if they would trade with Indianapolis. If you allow the Colts to trade up from 42 to get the quarterback they want, and you have to play against him twice a year for 10 years, he's going to rub it in your face, and you're going to hear about it from fans and media through the rest of time. <laughs> and no doubt about that. Again, we're talking to John McLean from Gallery Sports here on Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio. John, sticking in Houston, I've got to ask you, this is off the beaten path, but you cover everything for Gallery Sports. How excited is Houston for Ime Odoka to be the new head coach? It's interesting. They just fired Stevens. Uh, my mind, Stevens Siles, yeah. He was there three years. They, he, I, it was terrible what they put him through. He came here, thought he had uh, James Harden and some other veterans. They got rid of him. They went on a youth movement, and and they've been the worst or second worst in the team in the league for three years in a row. So they fired Silas, and here comes Imadoka. And he, you know, he coached one year. He did a great job. Paid his dues as an assistant coach. But he had that controversy involving an improper relationship with a woman in the Celtics' office, and they fired him. Now, I'm thinking there's a lot more to that relationship than we know about because I've known a lot of people that had inter-office relationships and didn't get fired. But people really like him as a coach. As a communicator, people here are excited. They figure the Rockets vetted him with the NBA, and the NBA signed off on it. So I believe his first news conference here 
will be his first one since getting fired. And I'm guessing there might be some national media or the Boston Globe will come here and why, and, and the Houston media will ask him too about what happened to him in Boston because that was a great job and he was off to a tremendous start after one season. Again, we're talking to John McClain from Gallery Sports here on Unnecessary Roughness. John, going back to the NFL draft, which team do you think will surprise fans the most when it comes to who they select early on in the draft? I think it could be Seattle, DeMond. We've all had them taking Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson if he was bypassed and lasted to five. I haven't seen Tyree Wilson take further down than six with Detroit. So that wouldn't be a surprise on Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson. I think the Seahawks are the ideal place for Anthony Richardson. Geno Smith's three-year contract, they can get out of it after one year, and he can sit for a year. Maybe he needs to sit for two, like Jordan Love. Well, the fact is, Geno played great, and so they don't have a quarterback issue like we all thought they did a year ago, and Pete Carroll and John Snyder know what they're doing, they don't think they're going to be picking this high again. You know, so they think, if, I'm guessing they're thinking, we got a chance to get a really talented young quarterback. We better not pass it up. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't take Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see who's going to take Anthony Richardson because if he's there at seven, I know that the Raiders, they need so many other players and positions to help that defense. But Anthony Richardson, he's the most tantalizing player in this entire draft to me. And since I'm rocking solo today, John, I do have some people in the studio to help me out. Jerry's got a question for you. All right. Uh, Q always says that you're the legend, and obviously you are. But can you, you've known Q a long time. Give me the most embarrassing Q story you know. Oh, gosh, let me think. There's so many. I, boy, I wish I'd had, I wish I'd had some time. Um, Q is a really, really good hitter playing softball, which I know you guys have heard a thousand times. And He's uh, never mentioned it. Yeah, I'm sure he never has. But he's one of those good heel hit no field guys where he calls for fly balls and they land over his head or land in front of him or next to him. Or he can be up with the bases loaded, hitting, going for the fences and popping up a lot of balls. Uh, and I'll tell you guys something truth about Q. And um, when he was in Waco, my hometown, where Baylor's situated, and I got to know him because we were on the air together for years there, he was so popular. You know, how many people, not just go by first name, because nobody can pronounce his first name, just go by the initial, <laughs> Q. And so you'd say Q, people would know he was bubbling with personality. I never saw him in a bad mood other than when he struck out or a ball landed over his head. I don't think there were any Jose Canseco moments where a ball hit him on the head and bounced over the fence for a home run. But... uh he was wildly popular in Central Texas, and it was a big loss when he left. But he he felt like he died and went to heaven because all he did was talk about the Raiders. And I had, I'll tell you a story about him. I thought Q would be really good if we had an opening at the Texans flagship. They didn't, so I got his tapes. I sent them to the to the boss, and the boss goes, "My God, you think he was in Oakland?" I said, yeah, you would. He said, I think he needs to dial it back a little bit on the Raiders stuff. 
And uh, but the boss talked to him and liked him and ended up helping him get hired there. So when he got to go to Raider Nation, think about that. He gets to go to all the big events. He's covering the team he grew up loving. You don't get a much better situation than he's got. And uh, you don't find many people who are known by an initial. Thank you, John McClain. Look at that. Got a good Q story. Not with us on the show today, but still getting a little Q talk in. John, something else I want to ask you about when it pertains to this draft is the C.J. Stroud conversation of, hey, in his S2 scores, maybe they're a little low. Do you really think that C.J. Stroud is going to fall? Let's say even out of the top five, to me, that would be him falling in this draft. Well, if you like him, you'd be happy to know, DeMond, on my podcast that I do, uh, for Sports Radio 610 three times a week. My co-host, Sean Pendergast, and I, we mocked the first 12 picks. And we got down to number 11, the Titans, and Stroud and Hendon Hooker were there. So we put Stroud with the Titans because how could they pass him up? That ST2 score of 18 is not good. That's terrible. And it's just one part of the scouting process. Mike Lombardi said on a podcast he has out there in Las Vegas, he heard that he didn't do well in interviews. And uh, I don't know if that's the case. I haven't heard anything. Maybe the Texans will take him. At this point, that'd be a surprise. Three weeks ago, it would not have been a surprise. People would have yawned about it. Everybody thought the draft began with Arizona. But no, the draft begins in Houston with the Texans. And there's several avenues they could go. But I'll tell you what, if the Titans get a quarterback and the Colts get a quarterback and the Jags got Trevor Lawrence, if the Texans don't get a quarterback, Nick Casario may get run out of town. <laughs> Man, that, that's that, that's what I'm thinking. That's why it's so hard for me to believe that they're going to pass up a quarterback in this first I round. I think so. He's not stupid. He knows the value of a quarterback. He spent 20 years with the Patriots. And nobody was better than Tom Brady in the 21st century. That's John McLean from Gallery Sports, Sports Radio 610 down in Houston. John, I know you've released your final mock draft, but what else do you have coming out that people should be on the lookout for? Well, I actually post my final mock draft on gallerysports.com tomorrow. I've got a column about the draft on my radio station website, sportsradio610.com. And I've got other stuff, and I would like to say that my websites are free, free, free. No paywall. That's be- that's the best way to have it. If it ain't free, it ain't me. John, thank you so much for joining me here on Unnecessary Roughness. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have fun at the draft. Thank you, sir. And that was the general John McClain. I love it when John comes on a fountain of knowledge every time we talk to him each week. The Texans... I know that people are saying, hey, they may draft someone else at number two, but I'm going to be shocked if they do not take a quarterback because you can say all the smoke screens about maybe we don't want this guy, but the Colts, we know they're taking somebody in this draft. And if the Titans, they also, if they draft someone else, like you said, Casario might get run out of town. Danny, what's on your mind? I was just shocked when I heard John say that he had C.J. Stroud dropping out of the top 10 and all the way down as far as 12. Yeah, that would be music to my ears if he dropped down to the Titans. But that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah, but that's yeah why Titans fan over here. That's it's, why I don't think he would, because if he's there at seven, the Raiders are selecting him. I do think that if the Raiders would select oh, C.J. Yeah, Stroud if he's there at 100%. seven. That's why, that's why I said if he falls outside of the top five, I think that would be, man, why, what's, what's going on? Why is he dropping? 
but I don't think the Raiders would let him get past at seven because we, he's we, one of those guys where they're talking if he doesn't get picked at two, maybe they would trade up for three. Those have been some of the, some of the conversations of, of trading up to three if C.J. Stroud's available there. So if he fell to seven, I think that without a doubt the Raiders would take yeah, If If he drops that far, it would have to be a Tunsil gas mask situation. Like that, that's the level of something on draft day has to, would have to be released. I, I, I can't fathom him dropping past four. Like that's, that's insane. Yeah, me either. And we know that who the top four or five quarterbacks in this draft are. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. And welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. I'll throw out the show question to you again. And you can interact with the show at 702-365-9200 if you want to call. Or if you want to text, you can text us on the don'tbebroke.com text line 69187, keyword R&R. Type in R&R and then send us your message. The question is, a player drafted at 7 from which position group will help the Raiders the most? Now we're going to dive back into some of that Dave Ziegler sound to get a feel on where the organization is. And this is what Dave Ziegler, the priorities that should be at the 7th pick. I think the priority is is finding one someone that's going to have an impact. You know, you want to find a starting level player at that spot. There, there's no doubt about that. And and I think along with that, you want to find a player um, that fits um, one. Um, hopefully, fits a need that you have. Right. I mean, you're going. We're going to look at the best available players, but we also have a lot of places on this team where we can add competition and we can add play, people that can help our roster. Um, and we want to find a player that fits our what we look for in a Raiders player. We want to find someone that has a passion for football. We want to find someone that. Um, you know, is, is someone that um, has some upside, that has some explosiveness to their game, um, that, that, can, that can impact the game in a positive way. And that's going to fit our organization, I'd say, and have a positive impact on the organization as a person, too. Um, so those are some of the things that, you know, we'll be dialed in on. And then something else that, that I, I want to direct the conversation to is because in that last segment with John, we talked about maybe if some quarterbacks were going to, be fall down to the Raiders at seven. But it's also important to think, hey, they do have Jimmy G, so that pressure isn't there for maybe them to move up. Or if they just don't want a quarterback in this draft, and Dave Ziegler also spoke about having Jimmy G, does that lessen the pressure of needing a quarterback early in the draft? Not necessarily. Um, I think that, you know, anytime you can find a young player at that position that's going to have an impact on your team, you have to keep an open mind to that. Of course, we're excited to have Jimmy and having Jimmy um, does supply us with a a very high quality starting player at the position. And so um, we feel comfortable with that. But I think to close that door, you know, and just say that that's not something you would do because of X, Y and Z, um, that's not the business that we're in. So they're not going to rule out a quarterback, but it's going to be interesting to see what they would do if they do get that quarterback in this draft. If they actually do fall down to them, like what will the Raiders do if a quarterback falls to them? And now it looks like the man at the, hey, right in time, Adam Candy is joining us now here on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio. You can catch him sometimes filling in on ESPN Las Vegas on Cofield and Company and the Press Box. Now, Adam Candy, he is here in Vegas, but he is a huge New York Giants fan. and He's going to be picking for them in the mock draft. So, Adam, I'll defer to you. What do the Giants need in this draft? All right, Damon, I think you can look at three places in particular the Giants absolutely have to upgrade in this draft. First is at the cornerback position. 
where they let go of James Bradbury going into last season for salary cap reasons. He went on to be a star in Philadelphia last year, and pretty much they have a Dory Jackson and not a whole lot. And the Dory Jackson's about to go into his walk year. Now you have the wide receiver position, which was very clearly short last year for the Giants. So they, they weren't expecting guys like Isaiah Hodgins to make a big impact, and that was all they really had. Now they've signed Daniel Jones to a big contract. They've got to get him some weapons. And beyond that, they really need to look at the interior of the offensive line. Uh, it, they need to be able to protect Daniel Jones and give him time for things to develop. So uh, I really believe when you look at the first round for the Giants, it's got to be one of those three spots. Adam Candy with us here on Raider Nation Radio, the main man at Legal Sports Report. I got to ask because I got to ask, how you feeling as a Knicks fan, buddy? <sighs> I don't understand exactly what's happening inside my my brain and my heart and and my hands and my feet right now, but it kind of feels like hope. And uh, I'm trying not to let it get too far because I've seen the Knicks blow leads, but 3-1, the way they're playing defense, I feel pretty good about things right now. And look, I understand that, you know, Jimmy Butler might pose a pretty big threat uh, if the Knicks get through, and it's still not scary like Giannis. So if if the Knicks get through and they get the heat in, in the next round, man, I don't know. I might be even more insufferable than usual. <laughs> Bing bong, yes, we all know about the New York Knicks and how they take over the city after every home win. But going back to the New York Giants, how much of an improvement or what do you expect Darren Waller to add to that Giants offense? Tight end was a black hole for the Giants last year, and that's no disrespect to Las Vegas product Daniel Bellinger, who gave them some unexpected production. But Darren Waller, at his best, not only becomes the number one receiver on that Giants team, but probably adds more to the blocking scheme, even though he really wasn't reputed as a great blocker. For the Raiders, they haven't had great blocking at that position for a couple of years now. So the depth chart is extremely thin, for the Giants at receiver, and that makes Darren Waller that much more important. Now, the, the question, of course, is health. We know that. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think if you read into what you've seen from Darren Waller over the last year or two and all of the uh, off-field slight he's felt from the Raiders organization, if you buy into the idea of a guy having something to prove, Darren Waller might just be coming into this season with that for the Giants. And then the Raiders, they also have a parallel with the Giants, two great all-pro running backs that are having that franchise tag on them and don't really want to play underneath that franchise tag. What do you think the Giants are going to do with Saquon Barkley? I think it's tag or bust for for Saquon. Frankly, if, if I'm Saquon Barkley, I actually feel fortunate that the Giants did that because they're going to preserve the fact that he is going to make the average of the top five running backs in the NFL for a fifth consecutive season. Let's keep something in mind here about Saquon Barkley. By being drafted number two overall, he has made way more money than most of the first-rounders and definitely more than most running backs who came into the league at the same time. So Saquon Barkley's got to prove health for a second consecutive year. If he can do that, then I think he sets himself up to where the Giants might be willing to buy in at two or three more years and I know he's not happy about it I know Josh Jacobs isn't happy about it but this is reality for running backs in 2023 in the NFL 
All right, Adam Candy with the 25th pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. You've gotten our updated draft board. Who are the G-men selecting? <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the problem with your updated draft board beyond when I got to see it. Um, huh. My you, bad. You guys took, you guys took uh, both of my top choices uh, just in front of me. I, I really wanted to see either Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison be on the board for the Giants. I've seen a lot of mocks go cornerback for the Giants in this spot and say that there's enough receiver depth in the second round. I I don't see that. You have to upgrade at receiver if you're this team. You have put $40-plus million a year into Daniel Jones. And because of that, that you have to upgrade the offense in every conceivable way around him. So I think it's too high to go for an interior offensive lineman. And so I'm going to overdraft here based on who I have available. But knowing that I have to pick from what's on the board, let's go with Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. Wide receiver. A speedster. I mean, hey, you got to overdraft, but that's the position of need receiver for the New York Giants. Adam Candy, thank you so much for selecting in the Unnecessary Roughness Mock Draft. Happy to do it, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to Adam Candy joining us on late notice here on Unnecessary Roughness. And when we come back, Matt Humans, reporter for the Dallas Cowboys, is going to be selecting for the Cowboys. Thank you for joining us, Adam Candy. But when we come back, Matt Humans on Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. And welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Joining us on the phone lines now, Kyle Humans from Talking Cowboys and the Draft Show. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, Kyle, let's jump into it. I mean, the Cowboys, they seem like they have all the weapons, all the stars on this team, but what are some areas that they need to improve on in this draft? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, this is a team that wants to run the football. They've made that exceptionally clear, and the way that they could do that is by adding some talent up front, maybe by drafting uh, an offensive lineman and, and try and cure up the, the interior. They feel pretty good at the tackle spot, but really the guard spot. Uh, there's a huge hole sitting at that left guard spot, and there has been for the last couple of years. On the defensive side, they really need some linebacker help. Uh, could possibly go uh, with a corner just because of what, what it looks like in the future. And then you could always use uh, some great edge rushers. Uh, and then I, I forgot to mention tight end. Dalton Schultz departed, and so you have a couple young guys with Jake Ferguson, who was a fourth-round pick last year, and then you had an undrafted free agent and Peyton Hendershot really emerge in the early parts of last season as well. They feel good about those two guys, but neither one of them really moved the needle for you offensively. So a couple needs on both sides of the ball. I think the offense is really where they need the most work, though, if you were to, to really pull this team and, and see where they would add the, the talent in the draft. I know in, my, in our mock draft, there are no trades. you got to select where you're going to be selecting. But I think that I saw Jerry Jones say that they're going to be aggressive in this draft. Can, you, can we believe Jerry when he says that? Do you expect the Cowboys to try to move up in this draft? You know, there's a possibility. I think if the right guy is at the right spot in the, uh, the spots in front of them. Now, I don't think they have the draft capital, uh, nor do they really want to dig into the 2024 picks to, to really make a move and go jump, let's say, inside the top 10 or maybe inside the top 15. 
But if they can move up a single-digit number of spots, somewhere in between five to ten spots, I think they'd feel comfortable doing so. If it's for the right player, I, there's a lot of smoke where, where B. John Robinson, if he were to fall outside of the top 15, maybe they could jump up and, and snag him. Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern's in that conversation as well. And then uh, I think the, there's a lot of uh, interest in a Darnell Wright and his guard tackle flex that could really help that offensive line out a lot. But overall, uh, there's names on the board that I think they'd be comfortable with at 26. So even trading down is an option out there as well. Oh, you mentioned running back of Bijan Robinson were to fall. How high are the Cowboys on Tony Pollard? Do you think that they need to beef up that running back room a little bit more? They feel really good about Tony Pollard, and, and even coming off of the injury that he sustained in the divisional round loss against San Francisco. Uh, but to see him uh, by himself on a franchise tag year, I think they would feel better with another running back at some point in draft weekend. They really like Bijan. I think Bijan's just a different type of animal. I think he would be your future number one running back if that's the case, and they go and make that selection. Uh, and if he if he falls to twenty six, I, I think they would make that pick. Uh, but they could also go and use uh, the depth of this running back class to their advantage. I mean, they have Zach Charbonnet from UCLA in the second round as a potential prospect. They really like uh, a Tank Bigsby from Auburn who could be a day two, day three guy. There's definitely names at the running back position they would feel comfortable with, even if they don't end up with a guy like B. John Robinson at pick 26 specifically. Again, we're talking to Kyle Humans, the host of Talking Cowboys and the Draft Show. My man Jared's got a question for you. How much, um, I know that he keeps listing which teams that he wants to go to, but how much, how much do you think Zeke's got left in the tank? Uh, you know, it's interesting about Zeke specifically because the, there were things that he did well for this football team that didn't show up in the stat sheet. He's still an elite level pass protector. I mean, if somebody could use him in a, just a pass protecting role, and I think he would be worth a contract and, and especially worth a look. If you're looking for the home run thread and the same type of player that he was in 2016 and 2018 when he led the league in rushing, you're not going to find that in the 2023 or 24 version of Ezekiel Elliott, but somebody who can get you the tough yards. He can be a red zone threat. He can be a receiver out of the backfield. He can be utilized in the passing game. Uh, and then especially in pass protection, he's somebody that can help an NFL team out. And, and so I'm a little surprised that he hasn't been picked up by this point because I still think he is a talented player. I think the biggest disconnect right now with Zeke specifically is the money uh, and, and what is his value to whatever organization he would ultimately end up with. Kyle, something that I do want to talk to you about is Dak Prescott because he seems like he's one of the most polarizing quarterbacks in the NFL. Here in Las Vegas, sure. we had it with Derek Carr. Where it's, I, Derek Carr, a lot of people have him. Hey, he's a top 15 quarterback, maybe even some say top 10 in the league, but Raider fans was like, hey, he's not good enough to get the job done. Is that same feeling there with Dak Prescott that Cowboy fans think that he's good but not good enough to lead him to where they need to be? Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's more so just a believe it when I see it sort of mentality. There, There is some criticism just based off of the fact that he had 15 interceptions last year, which is out of character for a, a Dak Prescott that had really taken care of the football in years prior. Uh, the pressure is on, and it, there always is pressure whenever you're the quarterback of the Cowboys because you're a polarizing figure whether you want to be or not. But being in this organization and being in the position that he's in, 
that's just the fact of the matter. It's a part of the job description being here and being the starting quarterback. I think there's still a good contingency of Cowboys fans that believe in Dak Prescott. And you can really pull anybody in the building specifically, which is, of course, the most important aspect of it. They believe in Dak Prescott. They think he is good enough to send them to a Super Bowl, to get them to the promised land and really win it all. But from a fan standpoint, I think there is a good number of fans out there that either have uh, been turned off by the interceptions that have happened over the last few years, or even just the durability concerns. There have been times where he is injured and he is out, whereas the first four or five years of his career, he really didn't have any injuries until the long-term one that he sustained against the Giants in week five of 2020. So uh, things things uh, have always been under a microscope for, for Dak, but it feels like that's even more so the case going into year uh, into this year and going into to what is now year number eight for him in the, in the NFL. I know that we'll only be able to see it once the players actually hit the field, but what do you think that the Cowboys, how much different can this offense look now that Kellen Moore is not going to be the offensive coordinator? Uh, I think it'll it'll be a little bit different. To, to completely expect an overhaul, I think, is unrealistic. Uh, there were parts of Kellen Moore's system and, and his play calling that worked well. Dallas and that put them in spots to where they were top five in the league in in yardage and in scoring and uh, there were parts of it that just weren't consistent enough most of that coming toward the back half of the season I think where you're going to see the biggest change is you're going to see an emphasis on getting the playmakers of of the the football in space whether that be Tony Pollard or CD Lamb specifically and they're going to do so by simplifying some things there were complexities to Kellen Moore system that defenses weren't thrown off by, but if it's a complex offensive look and you're trying to confuse a defense and that's not necessarily happening, then uh, I think at that point, that's where you're going to see a disconnect overall. So I, I think there's ways that it'll look different. I think there are ways that it'll, it'll be the same as what we did see with Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore in the past, but with McCarthy being a veteran play caller, he knows what it takes to take a playbook and, and stretch it out over the course of a 17-game regular season and then try and, of course, take it all the way to the Super Bowl as well because he has done that before as a play caller. Uh, I would expect to see kind of pick and choose what worked, what didn't, and, and then kind of mess those together with him at the helm. Again, we're talking to Kyle Humans here on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. You mentioned Mike McCarthy there, and I've got to ask about him because so often it was, hey, Sean Payton, if Mike McCarthy can't get this team over the hump, they're going to bring in Sean Payton and let him go. How much job security do you think that Mike McCarthy has down there in Dallas? Uh, he, he has the security and he has the front office to, to back him up. Uh, but at the same time, kind of like what I said with, with Dak Prescott, but if you're the head coach of the Cowboys, you're under a microscope there as well. I mean, you can't afford too many losing seasons or too many lapses in the playoffs before your job and your job security starts to see a bit of a drop-off. And they overhauled a good amount of the offensive staff this year. They they kept a couple guys around, the wide receivers, Coach Prince and Coach Linda Wells at tight end, but they overhauled at linebacker. I mean, excuse me, at offensive line. They overhauled at quarterback, overhauled at running back. They made changes underneath Mike McCarthy. So now I think the pressure does turn to Mike. And I think it, if it wasn't there already, it's certainly there now because this is his staff. He has built this staff uh, with, with the, the thought in mind that he will be a play caller and not necessarily fit guys underneath Kellen Moore. 
So with him being the play caller now, I think there's an added element of pressure. So if the, the Cowboys don't come through with it, I think he will be uh, at least talked about uh, about moving on or whatever ends up happening there. But there's a lot of confidence at least heading into the season around him and what he can bring to this football team. All right, Kyle Humans with the 26th pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, are selecting who? Man, you know, this is a tough one because a lot of the names that uh, the Cowboys will have loved to see on the board at 26 are off the board. Dalton Kincaid from Utah, Darnell Wright from Tennessee, Osiris Torrance from Florida. Uh, Even those wide receivers going off the board in front as well made things tough. Now, I, out of the picture that I got, I don't see the Giants selection. They take the J- Jalen Hyatt. J- Jalen Hyatt. Okay, so that, that changes things, too, because that's a really nice receiver. I told you to text him that. Yeah, that's okay. It, it, it works out. I think the Cowboys here are going to take Michael Mayer, first-round tight end out of Notre Dame, Whoa. somebody that can help this offense. He's going to be a blocker initially. A lot of people actually throughout the draft process have compared Michael Mayer to a former Cowboy great and future Hall of Famer Jason Witten. So him coming out and, and being a player that can immediately help out on the offensive side as a blocker, as a pass catcher, I think that's that's the pick that they would make here, and I think they'd be pretty happy uh, with adding him to the fold and adding somebody that can help Dak Prescott out all, both in the pass game and in the ground game. Hey, I'm not mad at it. The Cowboys, like you said, building that foundation on getting another good tight end. Now, Kyle, you do so much work. I mean, with the Cowboys, talking Cowboys, the draft show, what do you got coming up next? What, what's, what should people be looking for for you next? Uh, well, we've got a ton of draft content. You can find it at Kyle underscore Yeomans, Y-O-U-M-A-N-S on Twitter. I have a schedule up of all of the live coverage that we'll have. Uh, on the draft show and on Talking Cowboys throughout the week. Uh, if you're in Vegas, you can catch that at any point. I mean, we have a, an official Dallas Cowboys draft guide as well that's available online. Uh, we know there's a lot of Cowboys fans out there on, on the western part of the U.S., almost at the West Coast, I guess. Vegas. There are a lot. Yes, it's the West Coast. Coast. A lot there's of them are. There's one in the studio. Okay, there's, there's a West Coast feel there then. Uh, I'll throw that out there, but there's a lot of Cowboys fans out there. You can still catch us on DallasCowboys.com throughout the week it's going to be a blast we have a ton of draft insight and, and a, a couple secrets scattered throughout there as well that you kind of have to decipher but we'll have it for you all week long Kyle Yeomans thank you so much for joining on Unnecessary Roughness it's been a great one yeah I appreciate you guys thanks so much and that was Kyle Yeomans you can catch him out he's a reporter for the Dallas Cowboys also the host of Talking Cowboys and the draft show I mean America's team taking a tight end They need that tight end to continue maybe following the footsteps of Jason Witten's legacy. You know, that short term that he had with the Raiders and Monday Night Football kind of put a little dent in his career. And when we come back, we're going to close out hour number two here on Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Throw out the show question again for you, and you can... Interact with the show if you want to. You can call us on the uh, call-in line at 702-365-9200, and you can text us on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R N R. The question is, 
A player drafted at seven from which position group will help the Raiders the most? We've got a lot of text in today about this, and I do think that the most, the thing that we're seeing the most, it's either defensive tackle or cornerback. That's where people are going, where if Jalen Carter would happen to fall to the Raiders in the mock draft, well, in the, in the actual draft, or Gonzalez or Witherspoon, Jerry, what's on your mind? No, all right. So may I ask you a question? Is there Go for it. do you have any moral appre- like moral apprehensions about taking Jalen Carter? Yeah. Uh no, I do not because I don't believe that yes, people people make mistakes all the time. We're, you know, I don't think that the Vegas I don't think that the Vegas factor where people this maybe this is the Vegas native in me that says, "Yeah, you can get in trouble in any city." There, there's there's trouble for you out there anywhere. I mean, the the accident that he was involved in happened in Georgia. Which, if the Falcons, where they have a top 10 pick, where people say, hey, he needs to get out of Atlanta. There is any city that you want to look at. I know that we did have someone on, and they said, hey, maybe the perfect place for him to get away would be you know, a couple thousand miles away in Seattle. But to me, trouble can find you in any city where you're at. It's about the person being held accountable and also the infrastructure that would maybe be in place for him as a pro as people get older they do mature so for me and I know that we also had a text a couple of weeks back that said Max Crosby and Chandler Jones that we all say that hey they would be a great support system for him but hey that that they're adults and he should he should be held accountable as as an adult and a grown man that they shouldn't have to babysit him yeah but in the NFL when you're around your teammates so much that these guys become like a secondary family that I do think that it would be. It's not so much as hey, waking him up because he's going to be late for class, but it is just showing people how to be a pro. We see this all the time, no matter what the sport. Where hey, rook, you're going to, like the, a vet takes you under their wing, and it's not so much as hey, this is what we do on this play, you know, helping them learn the playbook, but it's also how to be a professional because everyone that comes in, I know that with NIL and we see with the um the prosation of college sports that we think that these guys, hey, they're pros already with the deals that they're marketing and, you know, how they conduct themselves. Yes, guys are better equipped for the NFL now than they were, let's say, 30 years ago, but there is still a huge curve, a huge learning curve that every player goes through when it comes to making that jump from college to the pros. I I 100% agree as somebody who's probably on their fifth chance, probably sixth chance, to be honest. Hell, our friendship probably is on its seventh or eighth chance. But the biggest concern I have with Jalen Carter is that he went through with the workout after, like, I I would have loved for him to make a statement instead of going to the workout. It's all good. It's fine. Obviously, everyone who talks about him goes, this dude's a different level strong. Like, he's a different level type of dude. And so if that type of guy is available at seven, yeah. Ma- again, I keep saying it. Max is a lonely guy. Max is in that room, and he's like, I'm the only dude in here. They, The Raiders need another dude in that room, and that would get them another dude. I just, I am, there's part of me that just still has this weird hesitation about it. And that's fine if you do have that hesitation, but if I do think that that would be a I'd hard like player. i proved wrong. You'd like to be proved wrong. Well, everyone would want him to come out and be that star player. But I think that you got to look at the tape. For me, it's about what does a team think that Jalen Carter can provide actually on the field when it comes to the production that he can bring? Because the character concerns, yes, those are real concerns if teams have that about him. 
But I think first and foremost, teams are going to look at, do we think that this guy is going to be able to perform for us on the field? And to give you an update on the show at 430, Mo DeKeel is going to be joining us to talk some NBA playoffs. Going to be talking to Mo. He's got the popular, check him out on YouTube, check him out on Twitch. His one Mo Thing series where, you know, he breaks down NBA action better than anybody. He used to work for the Clippers in their video room. So Mo DeKeel is going to be joining us in the third hour at 4.30 to talk some NBA playoffs and maybe give me some, maybe give me some light, maybe Tell me analytically maybe how the Grizzlies can come back and win this series. So that's going to be fun, giving you an update on the show. And I'll also update you on our mock draft as we are done picking in the 2023 Unnecessary Roughness mock draft for today. We started off with Mike Dorocco from ESPN, and he picked for the Jaguars. And I'm not saying it was a shocker, but Brian Branch, the safety out of Alabama, went to the Jaguars. That was Mike Dorocco's pick. And we followed that up with Adam Candy coming in late, coming off the top rope. Adam Candy joining us with the 25th pick for the New York Giants. He selected Jalen Hyatt, the receiver out of Tennessee. The Giants going to get some help there in the unnecessary roughness. Mock draft at receiver, giving them some speed on the outside to compliment Darren Waller. And then Kyle Yeomans joining us from the Dallas Cowboys, a TV reporter for the Cowboys, and he selected, oh, Jared, I'm blanking. Who did Kyle Yeoman select for the Cowboys just now in this draft? Blanking on that. Jared's going to help me out when we get back from break. I'll have that for you. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920.